Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from pro and college basketball to UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Polina Edmonds, and I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, There isn't a lot of normalized education for female athletes on their menstrual cycles and hormones and how to work with those for athletic performance. Uh, But there is a lot of information that we're going to cover. This episode is about women's hormones, training with menstrual cycles, and how birth control can affect female athletic performance. To speak about this topic, I'm bringing on Dr. Jolene Brighton, who is a board-certified naturopathic endocrinologist, a clinical sexologist, and the founder of Rubus Health, a women's medical clinic with emphasis uh, in hormone health. She's recognized as a leading expert in women's health. Uh, Dr. Brighton, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am very excited to be chatting with you again. (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's get right into it with just firstly starting with hormones. Um, So what about women's hormones are unique? You know, how exactly do they affect the body and why are balanced hormones important? How do hormones not affect the body? (laughs) There is a receptor for these hormones throughout every single system of your body. And so hormones are the chemical messengers. They are really telling us about the environment, but also eliciting change. So within the DNA and to make our systems do whatever the body needs them to do. Um, I think whenever we, we talk about hormones, that usually gets just reduced to the reproductive system especially for women. It's always like, okay, are we making babies? We not making babies? Like that's about the extent of the uh, conversation. And what we don't realize is that our hormones are also why we wake up in the morning, why we go to sleep at night, why we have quality sleep, how we have enough energy to get throughout the day, how our brains are able to form memories and be able to retain as much information that they do and why our heart and our bones stay strong throughout our lifetime. So when hormones are imbalanced, how does that kind of affect just like normal day-to-day life in terms of like symptoms and and mindset? Yeah, that's a great question. So whenever people talk about hormone imbalance, that's really on me as a provider to figure out what are we actually talking about there? So sometimes people will say like, my hormones feel imbalanced. And what they're talking about is throughout their menstrual cycle, maybe they're struggling with PMS, maybe they're struggling with heavy periods, painful periods, maybe uh, they have anovulatory cycles, maybe they're experiencing acne outbreaks. So all of these things can be signs of issues with your sex hormones. But we've got way more than just sex hormones going on. And so some of the other hormonal issues that people can experience are 
issues with their adrenal glands. So maybe they're not waking up with energy or when they try to go to sleep at night, their body's tired, but their mind just will not shut up or they're dragging throughout the day or they're finding that they're getting sick all the time. And then as the case with thyroid hormone, that certainly can present with fatigue as well, but we can also have symptoms of hair loss, of dry skin, constipation, feeling cold all the time. Gotcha. In terms of periods and menstrual cycles, um, every healthy female has a period. And as far as I knew growing up, you get a period once a month, you have cramps through that, um, that week, and then you're good until the next month. Uh, but it is actually way more intricate than that. Uh, can you walk us through the four stages of the menstrual cycle? Certainly. It is way more complex than that. Right. Um, and I, you know, I share with people, I didn't really understand how the menstrual cycle worked until I went to medical school, which is why I do the work that I do because you shouldn't have to be a doctor to understand the body that you live in. And so as I break it down in, is this normal? I take you through four phases. Now it's important to recognize that I'm going to talk about the follicular phase. We're going to talk about the late follicular phase. And I just want you, want everybody to understand that the follicular phase includes the period, but we're going to, we're going to parse it out and I'm going to explain why. So the first place we start when we learn about the menstrual cycle is with our period. However, I want you to know ovulation is actually like the main event and really how the menstrual cycle starts. But it's a little harder to know when you ovulate compared to like when you see blood in your underwear. So we start with a period for learning purposes. It works really well. So the period for most people is going to last anywhere from uh, the first. So that phase is going to be days one through five, maybe days one through seven of the cycle. So the average period is about four to five days. And during that time, the uterus is shedding. The uterus is shedding the endometrial lining of the uterus. That, that is redundant, but the lining of the uterus is what's coming out. That's what you see as your period. And that's being built up. Once you leave the period phase, it starts being built. Now, why this is part of the follicular phase is because during your period, your ovaries have a different agenda. They are maturing follicles. So they're getting follicles ready, which contain your eggs. And as we go into the late follicular phase, so when the period ends, we move into the late follicular, follicular phase, edging up towards ovulation. What we find is that estrogen is rising. And when it gets to the point that there's an egg ready to be ovulated, that estrogen spikes. It tells the brain release luteinizing hormone. And when the brain does, you then ovulate about 24 to 48 hours later. And that is really encompassing the ovulatory phase, which is the shortest phase because that egg is only going to live about 24 hours. Once you, once you ovulate, and the only way to progesterone is to ovulate, is you're left with that follicle that no longer has an egg. It's turned into what's called the corpus luteum. And that now produces progesterone. And that takes you through the luteal phase, which is the longer portion of the cycle. And your hormones, at that point, you go from having estrogen being the main hormone to progesterone being the main hormone, although estrogen is still around. And that will continue until you reach your period. And at that point, those hormones are going to drop and that's what's going to trigger the uterine lining to shed once again. And it does that because the corpus luteum, your brain is only going to pulse LH so long and that corpus luteum is only going to make progesterone so long. If you become pregnant and there's implantation, 
that's really how we are pregnant. Uh, it's not just about the fertilized egg. It has to implant and then secrete HCG. That HCG is going to help keep that corpus luteum going so that you still have progesterone. So that is why if you if you do not um, become pregnant, that you end up with a period is because you have the absence of HCG. Interesting. So there's basically different hormones at work throughout the different phases of the cycle um, and they affect you in different ways. Why is ovulation and consistent menstrual cycles important to female health? I've heard that it's the fifth vital sign for females. Um, like why exactly is that? So this is a really important conversation, especially as we're talking about female athletes, because losing your period is a sign of stress. Is a, It is more, so it can be from, okay, let me say, like uh, you had said, like it's, it's normal for everybody to have a period in your cyclical years. Yes. Right. Before puberty. No. Uh, after menopause. No, absolutely not. If you get a period and you are, are in menopause, we need to see you. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. But if you are regularly menstruating, then we want to see this ebb and flow of hormones. We want to, so if you, if you should be met regularly menstruating is what I should say. We want to see that you've got this ebb and flow of hormones. And the problem is, is that when we lose the period, the period starts to become shorter. The period is spotty, um, or we're having like lots of clots, or it becomes very, very heavy. These can all be signs that we have issues with our hormones, which are going to play out at the top of this. I explain like every system in your body is affected by these hormones, and so especially with female athletes, it's something that we can see is that through the way they train and the way they eat, they can be pushed to really their capacity where they begin to miss periods or their periods become spotty, they become shorter. And that is all a sign that the body's under too much stress, which I mean, anyone who doesn't like their period will be like, yay, no periods. But the problem with that is that means no estrogen, which is protecting your bones, your brain, your heart. Super interesting. So food plays a role food can play a role in balancing hormones um, and helping with consistent cycles. And so for female athletes, just starting puberty, especially food is kind of a scary topic because there is this fear of gaining excess weight as you become a woman and having that negatively impact your athletic performance. Um, so how important is food to growing female adolescents in their hormone development? And are there types of foods to focus on during each phase of the cycle? Gosh, this is super, super important. I just want to say that piece right there when you said gaining excess weight because of female hormones, you're gaining normal weight, right? Okay, unless it's like polycystic ovarian syndrome, we've got insulin dysregulation, other stuff going on. But it's this idea that you're not supposed to have hips, butts, thighs, the boobs, like all of the things that are characteristically female traits that are important to have. But it often comes through this like male dogma kind of thing of like, you're gaining excess weight. Like friend, my body is set up in a way to not only attract a mate, but also to have these energy stores and to be able to procreate and create life. And like, let's like take a moment to just be like, your body has the ability to grow a future human and then feed it. So it's not excess weight, it's normal weight. And if it is excess weight, then we need to look at what's going on. It could be hypothyroidism, it could be PCOS, it could be insulin dysregulation. And those things are not going to respond to caloric restriction. They're not going to. 
And so, uh, which is, you know, I see a lot of stuff that goes around social media where people are like, oh yeah, like people use excuses of like why they can't lose weight. And I'm like, tell me, you know, nothing about hormones without telling me because in those situations, the body is not, it's especially like, I think hypothyroidism, like you cannot feed the body and the body's like, I don't, I don't care. And also how long can someone keep that up when they can't even get out of bed because they're so fatigued and having issues. So, so to answer your question about food, food is like, food is the thing that we should be taught. Did you leave school knowing how to invest, how to like, you know, take care of your checking savings account, retirement, any of that? Or did you understand the fundamentals of how your body works and how you should feed your body and how you should avoid disease? Like, why are we not teaching these things? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will be like, nutrition's not that important. I don't think in athletes, I think they definitely understand. So when we're talking about adolescence, like the tricky thing is I think a lot of time, I mean, this was me, is that like, we are eating foods and we are seeking out foods that are maybe calorically dense, um, but aren't providing nutrients. And so like, I will own that. I thought I could just eat crumb donuts for lunch some days. And that's problematic because we don't just need calories. We need nutrients. And then the flip side, like when we're talking about athletes, sometimes, you know, I was a dancer and I remember there were girls that were like, I can only eat brown rice and like a little bit of chicken. Um, also, also really because they wanted to be ballerinas and their body had to look a certain way. I did. I had a butt and my boobs came in and uh, my ballet teacher was like, it's not going to be for you. And I actually was one of the best things that was ever told to me because she was like, this is your body type and it's beautiful and you should embrace it. But what they will expect from you to do with your body, I would not encourage anyone to do. Um, and I always appreciate that. But there were girls I remember who I was like, well, what about vegetables? Oh, I'm only allowed to eat these vegetables and lost sight. And I mean, we didn't know. We didn't know what we didn't know. But lost sight of the fact that like nutrient density is really what we need. We Our body needs these nutrients. And so especially during a time when your brain is maturing, learning to talk to your ovaries, I think it's really, um, we see that people just kind of be dismissive about the fact that like, oh, this young girl lost her period. Like, it's no big deal. It's a really big deal because her brain isn't, it relies on these hormones to mature. So her brain needs that. Her bones, we know without that stimulation that she's never going to have the bone density, which is Unfortunately, it's unfair that our bone density really peaks before we're really like before our brain is formed uh, well enough, like fully developed for us to be like, this is super important um, because like as teenagers, we have to be building those bone stores like osteoporosis isn't a disease of 60 year olds. It's when the disease shows up. It's when the disease process has become so bad that we can diagnose it. But osteoporosis is a disease process that took a lifetime to develop. Same thing with heart disease, same thing with neurodegenerative disease, same thing with sarcopenic obesity, which is the loss of muscle mass and the infiltration of fat cells. I think we so often think like that's old people stuff, like that's not me. But what we don't realize is how people got there to that state of really poor health is through all the choices they made over their lifetime. And certainly it is very unfair that as adolescents who just want to live their life and do whatever they want, that we, like, like we had to ever be charged with the fact that we had to invest in our like, you know, body 50, 60 years from now.
Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating because I think when we typically think of periods and uh, just like your normal health uh, with developing hormones in puberty, you you think of that as directly being linked to your uterus, but you don't think about how it actually affects mm-hmm. every part of your body and your brain. Um, that was kind of one of the craziest parts that I learned when I first started delving into this topic a few years ago was just that um, it's so much more than just like that uterus health and, and like preparing your body for pregnancy. And as soon as you get your period as a Mm -hmm. woman, it just means that like, you know, you're ready for pregnancy and it it actually has nothing to do with that. Like with, I mean, it does, but a lot of it has to do with the development of your brain um, and the health, you know, there's so many mental health issues in life right now. And a lot of young kids and um, hormone development has a huge effect on that, like throughout that decade of being a teenager and even up till your brain's fully formed at 25. No, you're absolutely right. Um, It's the problem of how we talk about women's bodies, how we talk about women's hormones is to always reduce them to their reproductive capacity. Um, and, And this becomes even, you know, it's problematic at every stage of our life of like not fully teaching us about all the ways that our hormones impact our body of not talking to us about our hormones or how we can fix superior problems because we said we're not interested in having a baby right now. So that conversation just gets shut down and we get offered the pill. Or treating us as if like our, because our reproductive capacity is over as we enter into late perimenopause or menopause that we're like, just to be discarded. Like I say, and is this normal, your hormones were made to give you superpowers. I mean, how you put on muscle mass is related to your insulin and your testosterone levels. And yet, and we, and we don't even like (laughs) every time I hear it or I say testosterone, what people think of as the male sex hormone, like I just asked him like, but it's not women have it too. We absolutely need it. But because we ever use that language to begin with for a very long time, women who had low testosterone were just left to completely struggle because it's like, well, you're a woman. You don't really need that. That's a man hormone. Absolutely not true. From an athletic approach, are there ways to exercise working with those four phases in the menstrual cycle um, and, and still build strength? Because I know that I've seen a lot of things about, you know, laying low during your period. And then like, you know, in two weeks during ovulation, you're going to have higher energy. And so then you can really pack on the types of exercise. Um, But for athletes that are in, you know, every single day is the same type of training. You can't really pull back in that same way. Um, So are there ways that building stamina can be affected um, and, and just types of exercise? Yes. And you asked me about food during the cycles and I went off on a tangent about nutrient density. So we should talk about both. And we should also just take a moment to recognize that uh, female soccer players are winning the world cup and starting their period the next day. So while there are, you know, there are things that are true about like when to work out, when to do what kind of workout, I don't like super rigid framework that says like, this is the way for everyone and doesn't honor your differences and doesn't recognize that um, if you are an athlete or that like if you're just a human existing, you cannot you cannot schedule everything by your menstrual cycle. Um, I actually was, I just recorded the audiobook for Is This Normal? And I had started my period the first day. Now, why does this matter? My voice is going to be the least attractive. I was just like, Dang it, because I know from the research that people would perceive me better 
They'd be more receptive to my voice if I was recording this days before ovulation, like around that ovulatory window because of where my hormones are at. And so my voice would have been just like, just so much. Everybody would have just really relished, right? A doctor brain reading. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, is that that's when the producer schedule that worked out. That's when production worked out. Like that's the way it had to be. And so I share that because there's, a, you know, I may know this. And as I talk about this, uh, people might be like, oh, that's the ideal. Life is not ideal. Life is going to be what life can be. But when you can understand these things, you can also be gentle with yourself and you can compensate. So if we're talking about the period, yes, some people absolutely find that they need to dial back the day before and maybe the day, first day and second day of their period. So a little three-day window. For others, it's more like five. So we want to ask like, what is true for you? And that is because you're about to shed the endometrial lining and your hormones, which give you energy and do all these wonderful things, they are dropping down. And so as that happens, you may need to rest more. If you're someone who has extreme period pain, you certainly need to rest, but you still need to move. So if you have something like endometriosis, for example, um, you may be in like tremendous pain and it may be like five days of your period. You feel like I'm just down and out. Um, if you are an athlete, I definitely encourage you to work with somebody to get the endo symptoms under control and also just to recognize that like th that doesn't mean this is just how you have to live your whole life. But for the average individual, that period phase, you know, being that first week of the cycle or, you know, four to five days of the cycle, you may notice that okay, you're a little more tired during that time. And so maybe during that time, you are dialing back the intensity but for other people, they find that when progesterone drops down and estrogen is down, testosterone is left to stimulate. And they can, they sometimes find that like they can actually train harder, go harder on their period. There's nothing wrong with that. I know there's people out there that'll be like, that should be your inward looking time and you should rest. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's not what's true for you. So once once you get through your period, what you'll find is that estrogen is rising and testosterone is rising as well. And those two are going to help with your stamina. Those are definitely going to help with the intensity. So this is where um, definitely most people find like pre-ovulation and around ovulation that they can go a lot harder. So they're going to find that they can, and this is also for people who are not athletes, you can also sleep less and, um, exercise more and get away with eating less. But like, I wouldn't encourage that. I wouldn't encourage that you do that, but it is a more forgiving time of your cycle. And so when we're talking about foods around this time in that period phase, it's a good time to be eating iron rich foods, foods that are rich in folate, B12, uh, vitamin B6, things that are going to help you rebuild your blood stores and things that are a little easier to digest. As you're moving away from the period and, and bringing your way towards ovulation, that's where lighter foods might feel better. And that's where you're like, I just am feeling like a lot of salads. Bringing in cruciferous vegetables can be really great at that time because that's going to start supporting estrogen detoxification a little bit more. And that will help you as that estrogen spikes before ovulation and to keep it so estrogen doesn't try to like kick out progesterone as you move into that um, then to that luteal phase. And so 
these things that I'm talking about, by the way, I talk about them in Is This Normal, but I wasn't able to fit a meal plan and the recipes that I wanted to. The book is so dense. And my editor's like, look, if we've got to choose giving this like medically accurate information to women or uh, putting in a meal plan and recipes, like I would rather keep the information. And that's what we settled on. But I know that it's hard to do a program without some structure and framework. So if you go to drbrighton.com slash ITM, ITN dash resources. I actually have the four week meal plan, which is eating with your cycle and um, the recipes that go with that. So that, and if you, you want to get that with the book, cause it'll make sense in terms of the framework of everything that we're doing in there. So when we get to ovulation, that is usually like a really, like that is a time where we feel dialed up. Like I said, like you might feel like you can eat less, exercise more and, um, sleep less. Like you just feel a lot more resilient. And then once we come through that and we come into the luteal phase, something that's really important to note that not doesn't get talked about a lot, but that your body temperature tends to rise post ovulation. And this is important because the progesterone is causing that, that rise in body temperature is because if you're exercising, you might feel like I have less exercise tolerance. I am having a harder time training. And what might be going on is that you need to assess like moisture wicking clothes, get a fan on you, do things that helps with your body temperature regulation, because it can definitely be an issue during that phase of the cycle. But as we're in the luteal phase, again, we want to keep up the, those cruciferous vegetables going because we don't we don't want to find ourselves, um, you know, having that estrogen excess kind of symptoms going on because that can lend itself to PMS. Bringing on magnesium rich foods can be really helpful and making sure that I think at all times of your cycle, you should be having electrolytes while you're working out, but certainly keeping tabs on your magnesium and how much food you're eating with magnesium, maybe supplementing because that can definitely your mood and impact your cramps that are going to be looming. And so as you move through the luteal phase, some people find that in the late luteal phase, like the week before your period, um, doing more low impact exercise. So like walking, yoga, uh, focusing on like stretching, swimming, uh, Pilates, low impact cardio, those kinds of things might feel better. This can be a time where you can use as your recovery phase, um, as athletes do. And then you, once your period comes and you move through that, be able to hit it harder again and go into those more intense things. But like I said, if you feel like you want to be intense, you want to work out intensely, you can, you can absolutely do that. It's about gauging your body and seeing where you're at. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, really important for from in a high performance athletic standpoint where you do have like to keep building off this consistent training. Um, if you're in a stamina sport like skating, where you have to skate a four minute program, um, mm-hmm. it can be really beneficial for women. And I think also for coaches of female athletes to track that energy, um, and see when the athletes performing at their peak during their cycle, since everyone is a little bit different. Um, and you can kind of see mm-hmm. where in the month, like where the highs are and where the lows are. And so when you're in that lower energy week and, you know, you're still skating your program, but maybe you are a lot more exhausted, that doesn't necessarily mean that you, uh, like 
are weak or like you need extra training like to to build more stamina it could just mm-hmm. mean that you're getting through the week that is the lowest energy for you and you're still doing everything um but just know for both coaches and athletes or skaters like in in the next week or two you're going to see higher energy and it's just because of your cycle it's not because of like your muscle strength and it's not like you need to start overdoing it with extra exercise um just because one week of the month, every single month you have lower energy. Like that's a really important component that I think Mm -hmm. is not practiced at all, really. Absolutely. And so, you know, to talk about like food and lifestyle. So while you're on your period, it may mean that you need more sleep. So if you are already getting eight hours, you might need to throw a nap in, or you may need to aim for nine. Like Mm -hmm. you may just need to get more sleep. And, you know, there's all this talk about self-care And, you know, for some people that's like taking a bath, like maybe you're taking an Epsom salt bath to help with your muscle recovery, recovery, but thinking about scheduling, like getting in with a massage. So getting a sports massage, getting, um, you know, working with someone who does myofascial work, thinking about how you can really care for your body as well during that phase. Because again, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily weaker. The other thing to keep in mind is that, when you are in your luteal phase, so for everybody, just remember that's after ovulation before your period, your caloric needs are going to increase. So generally it's anywhere from five to 10% more because progesterone is going to help increase the, the amount of fuel you're burning. You may also have a little insulin um, sensitivity issues going on. That's not abnormal. That's totally normal. So your cravings probably will go up. That's not because like, you don't have self-control or, you know, anything is wrong with your discipline. It's because your body is saying, well, we might be pregnant. So let's just make sure that we're getting a little more calories. And so that is a time to think about adding a little more carbohydrates that are, you know, coupled with fat and fiber can be really helpful. Um, And considering like, you know, having like a sweet potato, for example, I love just the sweet potato, you add some butter to it because it's going to have that fiber. It's also going to have beta carotene and other things that can be really beneficial. Um, But if it is something where you're like, I want to have a cookie and I'm about to go work out, that's okay. Like, okay. Like you're, you're having that craving. That doesn't mean that you are. um, And, and why I say about to work out is because that's going to help with your glucose management, your insulin regulation. Um, But it doesn't mean that like you lack that discipline. The other thing to know is that it's important that when we are in that follicular phase and ovulatory phase that we build muscle. So we're building muscle, especially like in your legs, um, but building muscle that's going to protect your joints. And as you get into where progesterone comes up, there's actually evidence that shows that there is a higher risk of having an ACL tear and having joint injuries. So especially you talk about Hmm. skating and things like that. Um, my son, I, I do this like mixed martial arts workout and they love to do these like jump knees. And my son one day, who's like, why are you not doing the jump knees today? And I was like, because mama's in her luteal phase and I know (laughs) it can happen to knees. And I know I never want to live without my knees and I never want to have knee surgery. So (laughs) I'm just going to like, I am just going to do what I need to do right now to be mindful and to take care of my body. Like, can I still get the intensity of workout? Yeah, I can do that without like, 
you know, pushing things further, but that is also, but having muscle to really reinforce those joints is super, super important. And the time to build it when your body is going to build muscle, um, and it's best is before you enter into that luteal phase. Um, mm -hmm. and for people who might be like, well, this just like sucks. And like, why would I want to have hormones? You know, it's interesting is that we need a lot more research on progesterone and head injuries in females. We need a lot more research because um, NFL players getting all the attention. Nobody talking about all these female athletes, like soccer players who end up with head injuries. And what's interesting is there has been research to show that when you get a head injury in your menstrual cycle will predict the outcomes of post-concussion syndrome and wow. how bad it is. And what they have found is progesterone is protective. So if you get a head injury and it's the end of your luteal phase, and then you're going into the follicular, your period follicular, like you've got some weeks without progesterone, but if it's around ovulation or you just ovulated because progesterone is going to rise, progesterone is going to be protective. It's actually going to help your brain. So mm -hmm. to understand that these things matter, if you, nobody predicts when they're going to sustain a head injury, but if you have a head injury and you're on your period, you know, right away, like you, you are probably going to have more deficits. Um, it's not a guarantee, but that you are going to need more support and just hmm. starting to get that in line to where like you are, you know, you are making sure that you get the appropriate rehab and that you advocate for yourself because they might be like, oh, you're going to be fine. But knowing like where your hormones are at, that may play an impact on your outcomes. What if a uh, competition week is on your period? That's kind of like one of the biggest scare factors. I feel like for female athletes is, um, you know, if you have to perform um, on a week where you are low energy because it is those period days, um, can stress and like the nerves and adrenaline of competing of be like more or less affected during competition week? Well, what's really interesting is like how good endorphins are for period pain and you're going to have endorphins when you're competing, like those things mm -hmm. are going to come up. Um, right before your period. So in that luteal phase, you tend to be more susceptible to stress, a lot more tender. Um, that's when we're more cr prone to cry. Um, we can have more anxiety show up in our cycle. It's actually when we're on our period, our hormones are more matched to our male counterparts. So while we might feel like, oh, my energy is a little bit low and I'm not like, I, I'm, you know, I don't like to just like sleep in some more and you might have that vibe going on. It's also important to understand that for some, uh, so for some people, once they get going, they're, they're like, oh, it's not even like I'm on my period, but also because by by day two, so second day of your period, estrogen starting to creep up. By day three, it's really making a debut. So even though we're bleeding, our hormones are already coming back up. And then, like I said, when estrogen and progesterone dip out, testosterone's still there and it's left to be able to stimulate things. And so testosterone helps with that competitive edge. It helps with um, your muscle mass. It can help in those ways. And because you no longer have the body temperature elevation, the, uh, you know, I need more calories phase going on. And so your caloric needs drop, you know, it's not a huge drop, but they drop your body temperature drops because of all of that. Sometimes it's like, um, you know, I think about 
how like cyclists, you know, they're going around the turn, they're, they're going on the turn and then they're pulling out of the turn and they can just take off on the straightaway. Sometimes it's like that, like that luteal phase is like, I'm just getting around the bin and the period comes and you can just really go for it. When I turned 16, it was the first year of me competing on my period and uh, it was challenging. And, and my coaches like were watching how I had done this one huge like national championships and it was the week of my period and I was definitely more exhausted, but um, I was still able to get through everything and compete and and make the podium. Um, and then two weeks later, I competed again um, in Korea for another major championships. And that was definitely during my ovulation phase. And I had so much more energy and I performed so much better um, just in terms of my energy on the mm-hmm. ice. Um, but it was it was really interesting to kind of track that in general and see, OK, I can do it. I can do well in both. It's not like on my period, I performed badly. I still performed relatively the same. There was just like really small incremental mm-hmm. differences in my energy, um, just like in choreography on the ice. So that was like a cool, like really important timing for my coaches to kind of see like that was me as an athlete managing my natural body symptoms, but it wasn't me not able to perform on my period. Um, But on that note, let's talk Mm -hmm. about birth control. Um, So I bring this up because when I was freshly 16, I had gotten my period. Um, I I went to our yearly high performance camp. It's called champs camp. And that is where like the team USA figure skaters that are getting sent out internationally that season are checked on their programs by judges. and, And we get to work with Uh, like nutritionists and psychologists to kind of check in at the Olympic training center. So we have these like health professionals um, in the sports center. And I was asked by the nutritionist if I had started my period yet. And when I said yes, she said, okay, they're doing this with other female athletes, but uh, they can put me on birth control. And that is really so that they can control my cycle. So I won't have to compete on my period. Mm -hmm. Um, And me being 16, I, I didn't really think too hard about it. Um, But my mom was next to me since I was a minor and she was like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. Um, So on that note, what are the key differences in women's hormones when on birth control versus off birth control? Well, you don't have any estrogen or progesterone when you're on birth control. You're taking synthetic estrogen and progestin and it's stopping your ovaries from working. So it's just like, you're done you're not going to produce these hormones. We're just going to replace them with these synthetics. Um, so, so, okay. So we're not getting all this cyclical stuff I've been talking about. The other thing that's important, there's two things that we really need to talk about here. So, um, firstly, we actually don't have data, whether good, bad, or who doesn't even matter of what happens when we put someone who is newly cycling, and also their brain hasn't reached its maturation process, which you depend on your hormones for your brain to be able to mature and to be built to the fantastic organ that it is. We don't have data on what happens. We actually don't know. We're experimenting right now, giving young girls the pill and then then no one's monitoring. We have no idea. So that's just like a big question mark and why it's concerning to just be like, oh, well, you got your period and you're an athlete, get on the pill. The other reason why it's concerning is one, the period isn't separate. It's not something separate. Like it's not like that that mindset is like you are like a man, except you have baby making accessories. And we don't need to have those baby making accessories right now. They're inconvenient. 
Um, and a, what I see is like a big problem when it comes to athletes is that as we talked about, the period is the fifth vital sign. Putting someone on the pill means that you can essentially abuse their bodies in ways that you get no feedback on. So it gives the coach a free pass to underfeed you, overtrain you, and your body never gives the signal back because you're getting this fake withdrawal bleed when you want it, um, or if you ever do want it. And yet, if you're, I think about the Nike coach that it came out, like how just downright abusive he was to women's body. He's supposed to be a professional. He's supposed to be an expert. He was horrible to these women. He destroyed women's bodies. And if you just put them on the pill, then there's like, there's no problem, right? We can just ignore so much of that. But if you're not on the pill, you lose your period. That's the first sign that there's trouble. There is definite trouble going on. And we have to, and what do we have to do when your period has been gone for three months, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, we have to stop exercising so hard, start eating more, do things to reduce stress. And in reality, women should be treated differently in terms of their training. We should like, you know, if you are training, you should be fueling adequately Getting to a certain like the like weight categories, sizes, all this kind of stuff that causes you to lose your period. I I get like, and I can definitely empathize that it is hard when you're like, this is my career, my goals, my aspiration. Like I'm a driven person, and this is what I want. Are you okay that you have completely compromised your future self? Are you okay? that you may develop dementia and you may not ever remember those things that you accomplished in your life? Are you okay that you may get into your 60s, fall down and die within six months or become so debilitated that you can no longer live your life and the people in your life are now forced to take care of you? And this may sound really extreme. Maybe people are even like, she's fear-mongering. But the reality is, is that what we do now impacts our future self and, and not having those naturally cycling hormones, essentially being similar to a menopausal woman while you're a teenager, that's very, very problematic. And so I'm not saying like, don't use the pill. Like if you don't want to have a baby, you can use the pill because that one is like, you know, that ID, like that's going to help with that. But if your coach is pressuring you or coercing you, into using a medication to stop your ovaries from working because they want to be able to push you in ways that goes against your biology, that should really give you pause because mm -hmm. what could happen, what could be the consequences that like maybe she'll never compete again because she sustains a fracture because she didn't have that estrogen that she needed. Well, how can birth control affect the female body in terms of exercise and building strength? Um, because like the common belief would be that by taking away your period um, and any types of bad period symptoms that you experience, like you can consistently exercise, air quote, uh, without being held back by your period. So how is that myth, so to speak, debunked? Oh, you know, what is so great about talking about, like we talked about, oh, the excessive weight game. And I'm like, that's normal female body composition um, is that the pill could have a negative impact on your body composition. So for some, they're going to gain water weight. So you are going mm -hmm. to 
gain weight. It's not that you're gaining fat and you're, you're, you know, going to be overweight, but you are gaining water weight that can be problematic for some people, but it can affect body composition in terms of your ability to put on muscle mass. And so with that, when, when you're on the pill, your liver is going to make a protein called sex hormone binding globulin. That is going to grab onto excess hormones. It's very good. It's going to keep you safe because you are taking these hormones and we don't need too many of them stimulating the cells. Like we don't want that. So the liver is going to change in that way, but it's also going to grab onto testosterone. And so now testosterone isn't going to be left to stimulate the muscle tissue in the same way. And so there certainly are athletes when they're on the pill who find they cannot gain muscle or they cannot train in the same way. And they're having issues um, with their with their strength. And so when you talk about someone who's a figure skater, that might not be as apparent or that might not be as much of an issue, right? But if you're talking about somebody um, who is a competitive weightlifter, that may be something that's much more noticeable. Um, mm -hmm. So you really have to gauge what is true for you because- um, you know, this pill, it was designed for the average person and they're, they haven't done like the huge number of studies in terms of like affecting athletic performance. And a lot is because they want to, like a lot of people want to believe that periods are problematic, that women's hormones are problematic. I mean, even in studies, they didn't study women in medical research until the you nineties, know, we started to see that that became, um, mandated, but in terms of drugs, I mean, we've, we're always treated as just like the inferior version of a man, which is super problematic because we're, we're different in so many obvious ways and not so obvious ways, like how our physiology performs. Mm -hmm. And so what's important to understand in all of that is even when women are included in studies, sometimes they're put on the pill because they want to control for the menstrual cycle, but what they don't realize is that they just introduced a whole nother variable. Mm -hmm. And then another thing uh, just to consider about the pill is that for some people, it does raise inflammatory markers. And so if that happens, you might find you're having more muscle aches that you are not like, you're just like, I'm just you're feeling inflamed. It's not a good feel. Um, and that can be related to pill use. And so again, it's not going to do this in everyone. So we have to really gauge the individual and ask what's true for them. Just that first effect that you talked about with water weight. Um, I actually experienced when I was 21, I tried the birth control pill for about three months. Um, and, and then I went off of it because of bad side effects I was experiencing. Um, but water weight was one of the main ones. I gained about 10 pounds and I was trying to skate and train through that. And uh, no matter how much I dieted or I ran on the treadmill and worked out for multiple hours each day, um, I could not lose the weight. And it was pretty detrimental to my like mental state in terms of like trying to be in shape and not knowing what was going wrong. But also um, just another thing I found it affected was uh, my ability to handle adrenaline, which prior to taking birth control, I was oh, a yes. very, very, very strong competitor under, I had nerves of steel, yeah. high stress situations I performed better in than uh, like normal day-to-day -day training. Um, and as soon as I went I, I experienced that birth control. And even for like months after I was off of it, I was a very different competitor. Um, under that high stress and nerves, I was underperforming. I was a mess and it was something I had never experienced yes. before. So how can birth control affect the way you handle stress and adrenaline? 
Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. This is like such a big topic and where we need like so much more research. I could say that about like so much about birth control. We need more research, but the thing about it is that there's a blunted cortisol response and it's been, it's been likened similar to what we see with PTSD um, in that basically you're experiencing stress, but you're not having an appropriate hormonal response to the stress. And so you can't handle the stress. You're overwhelmed by it and the body will literally start shutting down. Um, if people want to dive deep in that. So in Beyond the Pill, I talk about that. I have an adrenal chapter in my book where I talk about the, a bit of like how it can impact the adrenal glands. A book that goes really deep, really looking on the neuroscience of it is This Is Your Brain on Birth Control by Dr. Sarah Hill. I definitely recommend reading that because she talks about the research of the blunted cortisol effect. And then um, it is also something too that like, when we're on the pill, sometimes we're more apt to be risk-taking, to be doing things we wouldn't normally do because we're not getting that danger signal. And so certainly it can affect our stress response. For some, it's mild. Some, it's moderate. Others, it's completely devastating and detrimental, not only to their mental health, but their ability to actually perform in life. It's so fascinating. Um, and I wish I didn't have to learn those things firsthand um, in my own experience, yeah. but you know, it but also, it's that, that was, you observed it. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it makes it way more real too when I'm reading research and I'm kind of getting more and more inspired by this topic and, and wanting to be more educated on it is knowing that I've had like specific, you know, effects that I can identify with um, and talk to people about. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's crazy. Like the statistic is something like 60% of women are on birth control for reasons unrelated uh, to pregnancy prevention. Um, and and there's a lot of changes in behaviors that can uh, happen in women that like we just have no idea about. Like I've read in your book that it can alter who you're attracted to. Uh, it can alter your sense of smell in your partner, um, which is so crazy. Like there's it's, just so many things. It's totally a thing. Yeah. That like, um, and I feel like, you know, anytime you talk about this, there are always people that are like, that's disproven. It's not real. And yet we know that if you are naturally cycling. So I said, like, everybody would like my voice better if I was around ovulation. I sound, I sound more attractive. I look more, uh, more attractive. Like things change to attract a mate. We know that if you're ovulating and you're a stripper, you make more money. We know that there are um, studies that when men are looking at women uh, and they're ovulating, like they, they, they classify them as more attractive. We are like, we fill ourselves. Okay. Like we are like filling ourselves in our ovulatory phase. So in, is this normal? I take you through each phase of your menstrual cycle and talking about your sexual self this is where you will be less self-critical of your body because your body is looking good. You're feeling good. You're like, I'm at my peak right now. And that all is really normal. And yet we can acknowledge all of that. But then when the research is like, look, when women are on the pill, they don't like, they're not perceived in the same way. They're not perceived as attractive, like, like male partners respond to them differently uh, or male males will respond to them differently. When we look at 
the studies where it shows that women who are on the pill, they're selecting mates based on like how financially stable are they? How, um, you know, how good of a provider would they be? And they tend to be attracted, physically attracted to those who have lower testosterone levels. Whereas if you're off the pill, you tend to be attracted to the person who has higher testosterone features. So that square jaw, like that, um, what I like, like into like the Gaston of Beauty and the Beast, where, you know, he's talking about all the ways that he is so handsome. That's a high testosterone, um, not a high testosterone, like a normal testosterone situation. Um, and so who we are attracted to changes so based on what we are perceiving from their immune system in theory so that we um we vary the gene pool we have more viable offspring and this this all makes it makes sense and yet there's like a um there is just this pushback where people are like, we may only ever speak positively about the pill like forget the fact that um, it's imperfect, right? And it has issues. Like not everybody like loves being on the pill, but also always this pushback because nobody wants to hear that their hormones could influence how they're perceived, how they how they perform in life, how their partner perceives them, like how how attracted they are to somebody else. I mean, especially especially men want to refute this information of like, but if you are cycling off the pill, you know that there's certain phases of your cycle where you're much more in the mood and there are phases in your cycle. Like I say, um, there's times in your cycle, like I say, and is this normal where you're more inclined to get into a pair of sweatpants than to get into their pants. Like, you know, this to be true about yourself if you're paying attention. And yet there are a lot of people out there trying to refute there's any possibility that this could be this way. And yet we also see it play out in animal models. So there's something to it. Is it the end all be all? No. But do we need more research and to really understand? Yes, because right now we're using the pill in so many instances and not asking about what could be the unintended consequences of using the pill? What are the, like, we're, we're, and I'm someone who used the pill for 10 years, first generation college student, able to become a doctor. And like, that's fantastic. Okay. And we need to have access because unintended pregnancy is also not good. Like if we don't want to be pregnant, that's not a good thing to have happen. And that um, threat of pregnancy was really a threat on our career, our goals, our aspirations, always at the time bomb ticking if you were sexually active of like when that pregnancy might occur and when your career might be over. Like this is the world we were living in and in some ways still are. So having access to it is really important, but I think we're going to find out I'll probably be dead and gone by the time <laughs> somebody is like the time before, like we, ha we don't have as much opposition from people who are just it's so operating out of fear to question birth control that we can really see and understand what are the things that happened in our society that we didn't even think to look for as we introduced this drug. We are majorly messing with our biology for a good reason. And a lot of times like people trying to prevent pregnancy and yet we're just not doing our due diligence in the science to ask all the questions that we need to have answered. It's crazy. It's crazy the amount of information that is already out there that is just not um, 
I guess, accessible on a huge scale for women just because we don't know to look for it. Um, so I definitely encourage yeah. everybody to like do research on it. Um, I got really into this topic when I was in my early 20s. <laughs> I'm still in my early 20s, but when I was 21 and I, I had tried birth control for the first time, <laughs> that's really where I started. Like early, to... early 20s. <laughs> early, early. Yeah, I definitely there's there's a lot of, you know, side effects of birth control that um, can be really, really harmful. They can be dangerous to your health. Um, they work for some people. They don't work for others. It, it really is person to person. But I think educating yourself is really yeah. important. And I, I also feel like once you start looking into it, you're going to fall into such a rabbit hole and and you're never going to be the same. So it's it's really cool. But um, yeah, if you want to learn more about uh, the side effects of birth control, what what it does to your body, more information on hormones and, and managing your menstrual cycle naturally um, and the side effects of like going off birth control safely and and kind of how to stabilize your hormones and what the process for that is. Um, you should definitely read Dr. Brighton's book, Beyond the Pill, for that. Um, and she has her new book, uh, Is This Normal, um, as well with a lot of food information on menstrual cycles as well. And, and you should definitely follow her on Instagram, Dr. Jolene Brighton. She's a great resource. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Brighton. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.